0: Good evening and welcome to The Big Debate. My name's Tom Mobley, I'm the editor of BMJ Careers. The topic of this evening's debate really could not be much more topical. Over the past five weeks, doctors' paying conditions and the sacrifices they make to follow their chosen career has led news bulletins and been plastered over front pages. We're living in interesting times, with doctors wondering aloud and in the media whether they want to continue pursuing a career that they have worked so hard and for so long to get into. For decades, being a doctor in the UK was a rewarding, if challenging, job. The hours were long and often unsociable, but doctors were relatively well paid and the work was intellectually stimulating. They had a good pension and the security of knowing they were more or less guaranteed a job for life. But all that has changed. Pensions have been raided to plug funds elsewhere. Failures in workforce planning have meant the threat of doctors being unemployed or unable to find full-time clinical work has become closer to a reality. Take-home pay for GPs, consultants, and trainees has fallen or stalled, and rising bureaucracy has meant that doctors spend less time with patients and more and more time ticking boxes and wading through paperwork. On top of that, politicians and the media have taken it upon themselves whenever they see an opportunity to demoralise, criticise, and demonise doctors. So, what does all that mean for, for medicine as a career? Well, we're about to find out. I'm first of all I'm going to introduce the people talking against the motion. So we have Janice Burns. Janice is a junior clinical fellow at the Royal Brompton Working in Intensive Care. In August, she wrote an open letter to David Cameron. In it, she pointed out that far from being overpaid, under the current system, a doctor has to work for nine years to earn as much as a manager at Pret-a-Manger. That message struck something of a chord with doctors and the public, and it's now been shared over 180,000 times on Facebook. Next up is Pete Deverson. Peter's a GP in Kingston and part of a group of doctors raising awareness of the safety issues posed by the rise of private health screening. He's been vocal on social media about his support for junior doctors and his anger at Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt. On Tuesday evening, he tweeted, right now, Jeremy Hunt is settling down with a nice cup of orphan tears to watch 24 hours in A&E. And he's thinking, <laughs> let's cut those lady, lazy bastards' pay. <laughs> and finally, in the opposition camp, Partha Carr. Partha is a diabetes consultant in Portsmouth. And he is one of the few people to have recognised the outstanding achievements of Jeremy Hunt. He recently said, You have to take your hat off to Mr. Hunt. He's managed to unite a profession that's notoriously can't be united. <laughs> and arguing for the optimists, we have first Jenny Watson. Jenny is a medical student at Imperial College. She is planning to pursue a career in obstetrics and gynecology. Over the last year, Jenny has, w- has started a London-wide campaign to reform funding for senior medical students. And she also put together Imperial's Mental Health Awareness-, Awareness Week. Next is Helgi Johansson. Helgi is a consultant anaesthetist and chief of service for anaesthesia, critical care and pain at Imperial. He's also been passionate on social media as one of the many consultants backing junior doctors in their current contract dispute. On Saturday, he marched under a banner. Fair treatment for staff means safe treatment for patients. Consultants back junior doctors. And finally, Claire Gerarda, Medical Director of the Practitioner's Health Programme. As head of the RCGP, Claire was one of those who dared to suggest that Andrew Lansley's health and social care bill was a huge mistake. And she's been alerting doctors and the media to the impact of those changes ever since. She began working in the NHS at the age of 14, and she says she's been accused of being passionate about the NHS We'll undoubtedly see see some of that passion later this evening. So, you'll be hearing in order from Jenny, then Janice, then Helgi, then Pete, and then Claire, arguing for and then against the motion. Each speaker will have six minutes. After the speakers, there will be 15 minutes of questions from the audience. Please keep those questions brief so that we have time for as many as possible and keep them focused on the subject of the motion. Then we'll have a final vote to see how many of you have moved from your original view and how many have been persuaded by persuasive orators here. So, let's start the debate. First up, Jenny.
1: So, I am the wide-eyed student of the panel uh, with just five years of medical school and a BSc to my name. Um, I worry that some of the doctors in the room might be looking at me and wondering who put me on this platform, who thought this naive medical student had the authority to stand up with Claire Gerarda and Helgi Johansson, who taught me to manage an airway, by the way, um, and talk about what medicine's like as a career. And I agree that I know nothing of what postgraduate training is like, and I've never been on the shop floor as anything more than a student. Um, I am the uninitiated, and I'm not entirely sure how I've landed this either, um, but I do know that I am essentially the future of medicine. And I'm frequently asked, why medicine? Um, And earlier this year, I was on interview panels for undergraduate entrance to medicine at Imperial. And when asked the question, why medicine, the majority of candidates would opine, because I want to help people, or something similar. And in all honesty, I'm not sure how many of us can really define why we chose medicine. And when I was applying to medical school, I don't think my 17-year-old self could really put her finger on this desperate, yearning to become a doctor. And I can't pinpoint the moment that I first wanted to be a doctor. Um, And it's something that I think I've always wanted. Um, Maybe I was driven by TV glamorization of doctors, or like many, towards the security of having my career relatively planned out in comparison to my non-medical peers. And perhaps I just wanted the status of being able to call myself Dr. Watson, Sherlock Holmes jokes notwithstanding. And in the process of writing this, I did a deeply unscientific straw poll of Facebook. Um, And it seems widely regarded that doing medicine makes for the ultimate Tinder profile. But although this might be true, (laughs) I'm not convinced it's really a valid reason why medicine is such a fantastic career. Um, Other comments from medical students were more oriented to the point that I want to make. One of them's here, actually. Um, And they said... It would be a privilege to offer treatment or simply a listening ear to others whilst understanding that our care forms just one chapter in their otherwise complex lives, and that it's an honor and a privilege to be part of the best and worst days of people's lives. Thanks for that Claire. And in the interest of balance, I spoke to some friends of mine who were doctors um, who took a slightly different tone. And although many strongly believe that they're doing something which is ultimately for good, There was many a reference to the ongoing contract saga. Um, I'd like to quote a really good friend of mine, um, a guy called Chris Gray, who's been working in the Northwest for a few years now. And he said, I chose medicine so I would have an employable career in Australia when the government screwed over the NHS, patients, and junior doctors four years later. It's not quite what I'd hoped for, um, but there was no way I could speak to a group of junior doctors at a time like this and not touch on the current problems and downsides to medicine, Um, long hours for comparatively low pay, heavy emotional burdens, the health secretary, and I'm sure these will all be discussed at great length by my esteemed opponents. And in all honesty, the prospect of terrifying absolutely bloody terrifies me, but I have absolutely no plans to turn and run. Um, I see the life of a doctor through the lens of my partner, Um, He's an F1 in South London. Couldn't actually make it here today, I don't think. I can't see him. Um, Today, he finished his third 12-day stretch in a row. He's frequently the only doctor on his team, and he rarely leaves the hospital before 8 PM. And this evening, we're actually celebrating the end of what we dubbed Hell Month. And regardless of how tired he is, or how little he's eaten, or how much weight he's lost since he started, he still finds the time to go well beyond the call of duty for his patients. And he still takes time to talk and understand. And I see him hurting when things go wrong, and I see the warmth that he feels for his patients and their families. And we're in an extremely privileged position. Patients allow us into their lives, and they share their fears and hopes with all of us. And I like to think they leave a little bit of themselves with us. Uh, maybe it's my own inexperience talking and. Maybe in years to come, I'll become too sort of demoralized to really remember, but I still have very clear memories of most of the patients I've come across. Um, my first floridly psychotic patient, my first bronchi baby, my first hospital-acquired pneumonia. I also remember the first baby I delivered and the first death. And I remember how I cried at both. And I think if I ever stopped feeling like this for patients, I would quit. And I want to end on another quote from my friend, Dr. Chris Gray, who said, medicine is incredible. It is neural, it is thought-provoking, and it's rewarding. It's the best career you could ever go into. It's the patients, and not just the impact you have on their life, but the impact they have on yours. And whatever reasons past me, gave in an interview all those years ago, without knowing how good being a doctor is, I'm very grateful, because now I know. And I'm inspired by the opportunity to help so many people at their time of need. And I'm inspired by the love of their craft expressed by so many doctors. Being surrounded by this level of altruism and compassion gets me out of bed in the morning. And it's what drives me to study and to work and to reach the finish line no matter what. Medicine, to me, is so much more than a career. And I hope it's more than that to a lot of the people in this room. It's a childhood dream and a vocation and a lifestyle And we chose this life because we care. And it's this incredible concentration of sheer human good, which makes medicine, for me, the best and the only career.
2: So, good evening, everybody. Um, this house simply cannot believe that medicine is the best career in the world. Um, gone are the days when the medical profession commanded respect. Um, now, I require only two words to prove this point, and I'm sure you can all guess which two words those are. One of them is Jeremy, and the second, I need to be very careful on how I pronounce it. So, the second word is hunt. So Jeremy Hunt, and I need to say no more. I also would like to draw your attention to this t-shirt and point out that my future boss, um, who's speaking for the motion, also has one of these. So what does that tell you, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, so only yesterday, um, an anonymous female surgeon posted and wrote in The Guardian of how she could no longer continue with her vocation. And I think that's, Really telling, because the current government, their attempts to cow the medical profession, demonstrates just how far our profession has fallen from grace. So last Saturday, twenty thousand demoralised, demotivated, and devalued doctors marched on the streets of London. Morale has never been so low, and. The House could be forgiven, and Jenny already touched on this, for thinking that medicine's a glamorous pr- profession across the world. You know, there's many, many, many medical documentaries um, and many med- medical medicines dramatized. Programs like Grey's Anatomy, it's now in its 12th season, um, and at its peak, it was viewed by 25 million people in the United States alone. So. Aside from the fabulous Chelsea and Westminster that we have here in London, I'm yet to find a hospital where the staff and the surroundings and the patients are as aesthetically pleasing as they are at Chelsea and Westminster. And I'm sure that my future boss, Dr. Johansson, will no doubt confirm to the house that St. Mary's in Paddington is nothing but a rag bag of imperial misfits, <laughs> and there is definitely no scandal in that hospital. Now, is there, Dr. Johansson? okay but on a serious note we need to think about the glamorous side of medicine there's absolutely nothing glamorous about medicine there's nothing glamorous when it's five o'clock in the morning and you've got a 30 year old patient in itu who suffers a cardiac arrest in the intensive care unit there's nothing genteel about cracking open their chest and there's nothing easy about making the decision to do so because regardless how much training you've had the decision to crack open somebody's chest on an intensive care unit at five o'clock in the morning. There's nothing glamorous about it. and there's nothing forgettable about the experience either um, that experience for me was about four months ago and it still haunts me and it's one of the reasons and experiences like these you know it's not the only one it's quite a dramatic one but experiences like these are the ones that, in, that contribute to increased levels of um, burnout and depression amongst doctors so back in 2008 a survey found that one-third of vascular and colorectal surgeons working in the United and working in the UK suffered from burnout and in case you are not aware of the definition, burnout is an emotion is emotional emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and an inability to to enjoy personal accomplishment. So, if one third of vascular and colorectal surgeons suffer from burnout, and they are generally a specialty that we think are you know they're very thick-skinned. If that's one-third of them, how? what's the burnout rate in depression in the, in the groups that are a bit more of the medical 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 profession that are sort of sensitive souls? What's, what's that amongst our GPs? And we can't even blame the high rates of burnout and depression upon the bureaucracy of the National Health Service, because if you look in the similar studies in the United States, found that between 30 and 50% of research surgeons reported burnout. So this house surely cannot believe that a career with high high levels of burnout and mental health problems can be considered um, the best profession in in the world, it just can't. And being a bit more sort of jovial, every single member of the medical profession lies somewhere on the spectrum between nuts and crackers. And if you you start out off the spectrum, you certainly end up on it. Yeah, I'm going to say no more about that, (laughs) Um, and if I were to ask the house what personality traits were required to be a doctor, I would expect you all to mention things along the lines of authority, superiority, self-sufficiency, those things to be mentioned. Those are actually three out of the four characteristics that define a narcissist, Um, and in the remaining four Those are exhibitionism, exploitativeness, vanity, and entitlement. And if you have all seven of those, you describe virtually every single surgeon I've ever met in my life. (laughs) So, you know, would this house really agree and would they recommend a career where everybody that you work with thinks that they are the great Almighty? You wouldn't. I mean, who wants to work with God every single day and not just one God? There's also the misguided notion that Korean medicine allows the academically gifted amongst us to help individuals to advance science and save hundreds if not thousands of lives. Well, we've had diseases like malaria and TB for years upon years upon years. So in 2013, malaria killed half a million people, 584,000, and TB killed 1.5 million. So that's over 2 2 million deaths because of malaria and TB in a year. These infectious diseases have plagued our world for for decades. And try as we might, we can't find a cure for them. Even Bill Gates has volunteered some of his vast personal fortune, and we still can't do it. So there's an inherent futility about medicine. and this house must also acknowledge that, like unlike any other career, the cost of training to become a doctor in the United Kingdom is becoming more and more exorbitant. Tuition fees are £9,000 a year. It's a five-year course. There's rigorous exams at every turn. The pursuit of medicine is, once again, becoming the only for the elite. However, for the bargain sum of £27,000 and only three years of university, so two extra years of life and two extra years of earning potential, you could become a lawyer you could become an accountant or you could become an actuary, and all of these professions have a higher earning potential and they have a lot more sociable hours none of these professionals will ever find themselves scrutinizing somebody else's poo or vomit at 4am in the morning they're never going to be calling their boss to discuss someone else's poo or vomit at 4am in the morning and even medical negligence lawyers are not going to have sleepless nights over misdiagnosed poo or vomit. Whereas, okay, doctors do. So I'll move along. (laughs) So to summarize, medicine may, it may have been the best career in the world. However, the denigration by the government, the exorbitant tuition fees and high rates of burnout and not enough cash or money to enjoy the scandal or glamour of being a narcissistic doctor are all legitimate reasons why this house simply cannot believe that medicine is the best career in the world.
3: Small blind panic while I... All the boys have brought presentations. All the girls are speaking off, off, off the cuff. I'm not quite sure what that says about us. Um, so I'm arguing for the motion that are medicine, you sure? definitely, okay. yeah. <laughs> One of my colleagues wasn't, but I am. I am sure <laughs> that medicine is the best career in the world because I truly believe that medicine is the best career in the world. In fact, so much so that I looked up on Google. I always wanted to be a to see what came up first. So Saint came up first. The problem with Saint is that it takes about 200 years to get your gratification, and I'm a very, very instant gratification kind of person. Um, so I thought about something else. Gangster? Mm, no. I'm not quite sure what a Tenenbaum is, um, but I'm, I'm, I definitely know I don't want to be a gangster song. Um, so I put a D in there as well. And actually, Doctor came up first, way before Dinosaur. Way before Dinosaur. So. Um, so we are, we are definitely on the right track. So uh, why do we want to be doctors? In fact, being a doctor isn't just one thing. There are so many different parts of medicine that it's actually a fantastic career choice because no matter what your personality is, unless you're completely rubbish or something like that, um, that um, no matter what your personality is, Whether you're a narcissist or not a narcissist, you don't have to be a narcissist to be a doctor. (laughs) I wasn't. I was looking at Janice. Why did you take that to heart? (laughs) But but there is a career for everyone within the broad church that is medicine. So um, I I just want to mention a bit about junior doctors' contracts. And I I have to say, I I agreed to do this before the junior doctors' contract thing exploded. Um, but um, but I, th- I think actually um, the uh, morale has never been higher in the medical profession at the moment because if you look if you looked at Saturday if you looked at the unity between doc- junior doctors. And consultants between nurses ODPs allied health professionals everyone who's standing with the junior doctors I have to say I think this has been a massive boost in morale and I think it's been a massive boost for morale for the medical profession I also follow a lot of junior doctors on Facebook and Twitter and they sometimes pour out their hearts on Facebook and Twitter and um, and um, I, I, I wrote a piece and and parts wrote a piece as well about um, how it can feel like a very lonely place when you're a junior doctor and how your, your life can feel really, really awful. Um, it does get better in the same way as being a gay teenager um, is an awful place to be when nobody around you is gay. And you may know the It Gets Better campaign on Twitter, um, which I think started in the States um, to prevent suicides in, in teenagers who feel very isolated and, and very depressed. It does get better. Um, being a consultant... Um, don't believe anyone that tells you that being a consultant is worse than being a junior doctor. It is not true. Being a consultant... Unless you choose the wrong job. Um, <laughs> being a consultant is so much better. It is so much better. And I have to say, you have to... I, I'm, a part of being, doing a political kind of debate like this is discrediting your opposition before they're even allowed to speak. And I'm going to discredit Partha over here <laughs> right now. I did anesthesia. I did anesthesia to get away from clinics and ward rounds because I find clinics and ward rounds absolutely soul destroying personally. I know lots of other people who enjoy them. Twelve hours of clinics um, seems. One was private, okay, yeah, good, yeah. But even so, even if it's private, 12 hours of clinics is an achievement. Um, and, um, and he says there on Twitter this week, on the 19th, Monday, that he loves his job. And he obviously, despite, d- despite arguing for, for the reverse, thinks that being a doctor is a brilliant career. And why? This is why, obviously not the Wi-Fi bit, but, but I, I think this has become the new accepted version of the Maslow, tri- Maslow Pyramid um, with the Wi-Fi bit, bit at the bottom. Um, but yes, we we're arguing about pay, um, even with the, uh, this might be slightly controversial, but even with the, if, if the current new contract becomes imposed, the pay is not a breadline pay, um, and doctors still do okay. You'll never earn as much as the bankers, um, and you're not, you won't earn as much as the lawyers. But what you get instead is the thing at the top. So you get, you get the self-esteem as well from the, from the other bits, but um, the thing at the top, I, I was talking to some of my um, consultant colleagues and, and saying, so why, what should I say tonight? And, and one of them said, oh, don't ask me, I'm having a midlife crisis at the moment. And then said, do you know, not for one moment have I ever regretted becoming a doctor. And then went through all the horrible things that are happening you know, management-wise and NHS-wise, blah, 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 blah. That makes, uh, makes her life worse. Um, and, and the other doctor said exactly the same thing. Do you know what, what actually makes a difference is the thing at the top, the self-actualization and the true feeling that your patients give you that you're doing a good job. Obviously, you're not doing a good job all the time. Obviously you will cry, nobody can. I I don't do a good job all the time. I think I do a reasonable job most of the time, but I don't do a good job all the time. Um, By the way, teaching, um, I'm very glad that I taught you to manage airways and I haven't put anything about teaching in here, but it's an immensely satisfying thing, being able to teach somebody else to do something well. Not just teach them to be competent, but teach them to be brilliant. Um, So the self-actualization, um, is the thing that comes from your patients. And I do have permission from my patients, the patients that are on there, to show their faces. Um, these are some of the patients that that um, uh, have come through the trauma center who have been extremely grateful. We've done a good job for them, and essentially we saved their life. And that's an amazing thing. Yes, I know it's a bit X-factor and a bit kind of um, tear-jerky, but actually it's a wonderful thing. And the other thing shows all, some of the surgeons that I work with um, and there, um, and, and, uh, so that, that denotes teamwork although I can't see much teamwork going on in that photo <laughs>
0: last so
3: last sentence and last picture this actually might work quite well um, so the last picture is would I recommend to my 18 year old son that he becomes a doctor absolutely, absolutely would thank you
4: Hey. Guys, Helgi, thank you very much for that inspiring talk, and please do accept my commiserations in advance of your inevitable defeat after I disabuse this fine audience of the delusion that medicine is in some way the best career in the world. Of course, it's not the best job in the world. It's not even the um, second best. The sad truth is that medicine is the worst job in the world, and it's the worst job in the world because of you, Helgi. And... <laughs> Also because of me, and because of you, and you, and everybody in here. So I can see I've got some distance to go to persuade you that medicine's the worst job in the world, so I'm going to need the help of this guy. Um, Does anyone know who this is? He looks like a nice chap, doesn't he? He's got this kind of like hippie bead thing going on. He certainly doesn't look like the sort of man who'd use public money to systematically torture family pets. Well, this is Martin Seligman, and he invented the theory of learned helplessness. So he's the guy who discovered that if you put a dog in a cage with like an electrifiable floor and a little lever that turns the power off, it'll learn to push that lever as soon as it feels a shock. But if you put a second less fortunate pooch in a second less desirable cage with an electric floor, but this time no lever, then dog number two quickly learns that there's nothing it can do to control its environment. Even, and so, it, when the power goes on, it just rolls over and it takes the shock, even when you take the roof off the cage so it could easily jump free if only it had the presence of mind to simply look up. Now, Professor Seligman's campaign of canine electrocution was not in vain. Dog number two has demonstrated the state of learned helplessness. And people, learned helplessness perfectly encapsulates the mindset of most of us in medicine, and that is why medicine is the worst job in the world. Now, think about it, people. From the very first day at med school, when you stiffen your resolve and you step into that weird-smelling room full of dead people, medicine begins to let you know you're in for shock after shock and there's nothing you can do about it except roll over and whimper and go, okay. (laughs) Yeah, This is you. Yeah, this is you. So, medicine turns around and says, welcome to the club. You're going to do two more years at uni than everyone else, and there's no holiday in those years. And when you graduate, you get minus 80 grand and a life pass to a career with double the divorce rate and double the alcoholism rate and triple the suicide rate of a normal person. And you roll over and you go, Okay. Yeah, this is you, Janice. Uh, then medicine goes, hey, you told us about your brother's wedding nine months ago, but we only started looking for a locum yesterday, and of course no one will do it because the government decided from now on we're only going to pay locums in magic beans. So of course you'll have to do it, but you didn't expect anything else because for the whole of your 20s while your mates were out meeting girls and drinking tequila like normal people, you were staying up all night sticking needles into old ladies, and you roll over and you go, Okay. <laughs> And then medicine goes, hey, you know those lovely quaff points you keep collecting so diligently? Well, it turns out you're too good at that, so we've decided next year we'll only give you half the money, but you'll have to keep doing the work, because the CQC will put the data on a website, and they'll press release it to the tabloids, and if you haven't hit all the targets, you'll find yourself maimed and shamed on the front page of the Daily Mail, and you roll over, and you go, hmm, okay. (laughs) And then Merton says, hey, you know that pension you've been putting into for the last 15 years? And we kept saying, yeah, your life's awful right now, but you've got that awesome pension to fall back on when you retire. Well, funny thing, we're going to take a couple of hundred thousand pounds off the final value of that, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you roll over, and you go, okay. And then medicine says, hey, guess what? You're going to love next year. You're getting a 30% pay cut, and we're doing a rebranding exercise. So Saturday night is now called Monday morning and remunerated (laughs) accordingly. And we're going to remove the only safeguards that stop the hospital from making you work 120 hours a week. And we're going to tell everyone that we've done it because you're lazy and because you're greedy and because you lack a sense of vocation. And if you don't agree to it, we're just going to do it anyway. And then something new happens. Now, two things happen here. First thing, I get home from work and my wife says, dude, why does your Google history say dogs with sad faces? <laughs> yeah, you told me you're a cat person. Yeah. And the second thing that happens, I look at this picture, I, I look at this picture and I am filled with a sudden hope for my profession. I look at this picture and I see thousands of beaten down electrocuted dogs who've taken shock after shock and suddenly they've looked up and they've realized There's there's no roof on this cage. What would happen if I didn't just roll over? What what would happen? My point is that medicine could be this fantastic job that Helgi's told us about, but only if we can shake off this learned helplessness. Now, I appreciate this talk has been kind of low on evidence, so here is a token graph. The purple line... (laughs) is the average UK salary in real terms over the past eight years three of the other lines represent different grades of junior doctors and one represents members of Parliament and it doesn't take a genius to figure out which is which. Guys there is a ballot starting next month and I need you to do something for me. If you're a junior doctor have a good think about how you want your life to progress Now you can keep the status quo and you can vote for a succession of worsening shocks piled one on top of another until you're just a cynical old burnout, shouting about dogs to a room full of strangers. (laughs) Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, you could look up. Yeah. And if you're not a junior doctor, I want you to look out for these guys, okay? I want you to go home and I want you to talk to your friends and talk to your families and I want you to write to your MP and I want you to go onto social media and tell everybody that someone's out there electrocuting dogs and we need it to stop. So, medicine is the worst job in the world but only if you let it be so. Thank you very much.
5: Or join a trade union might be a little bit more influential than uh, Twitter. Okay, what am I going to say? Of course, being a doctor is the best job in the world, especially being a general practitioner. It gives you flexibility, certainty, income, and even at my age, endless variety. I've reinvented myself every five years or so and continue to do so. I'm now a part-time GP, part-time psychiatrist, and I'm training to be a group analyst. I write, I teach, I'm a mentor, I lead. What could be better? Every day is different. Each day, well, most of them, is a joy. And I still look forward and cherish entering that sacred space of my consulting room and use my skill to care for my patients. But I am under no illusion. The job I began more than 30 years ago, and the environment that I'm working in now, is very different from when I started. The job now is faster, it's more accountable, it's more regulated, and to a certain extent it's less fun, though you wouldn't have thought that this evening. But nevertheless, over the course of my long career, and hopefully for you just starting out, it is the best job in the world so I'm going to use my remaining minutes to talk about the doctors in training from the whisper of the single chant which we've seen the slide not fair not safe to the 20,000 strong choir marching on white law Whitehall and I'm proud to say I was there their campaign has shown how effective medical professionals can be in attracting the media and mobilizing the public mind I have a confession. When I was chair of the Royal College of GPs, I failed, despite trying many, many times, to galvanise the medical profession against the Health and Social Care Act. But our junior doctors have done that. They've done that with their campaign. Junior doctors, myself, and hopefully the rest of the medical profession, salute you. Thank you. And maybe you can teach me the lessons of how you did it. Now, ostensibly, we've heard their vote, their their, uh, campaign is about voting for pay and conditions. But I don't think this is the case. I think what what we're seeing is something deeper and much more concerning. I think this campaign, their campaign, is about betrayal. It's about not being valued. It's about not being supported. It's about being treated as a commodity, as a factory worker with patients, or should I say consumers, as the product. When I started medicine, I worked hard, and I endured long and unsocial hours, as our juniors do now. But in recent years, a prevailing culture of blame and fear has developed in medicine, and this culture undermines the resilience of our young doctors. Changes in the training environment also means that the compact between the NHS and the doctor has been broken. Trainees are expected to move location with no security and sometimes no accommodation. They have little control over their working hours, space, days off, job security, and no guarantee of support from superiors when things go wrong. Yet they keep their side of the bargain and work as hard as possible for their patients. I also think what's going wrong is the bond between the juniors and the seniors, When I was training, I worked in a team, a firm, who stood by me, who let me cry, who held my bleep when I was exhausted, and helped me. And to paraphrase the Mars advert, helped me work, rest, and play. Now, the time is actually, the time is ripe now to look at these broader issues and to see what's going wrong. And to recognize that the various pieces in this jigsaw this is various people that are missing, need to be put together again. What Pete said in his talk is absolutely correct. We have developed a learnt helplessness. And I go on public platforms and I say the similar things. I can't believe that the brightest of our profession, the profession that is held in the highest esteem amongst the public, feel that they can just go and be dealt with, as we're currently being dealt with. I think it's not about, is medicine the best or the worst career? Of course, medicine is is the best career. But what we have at the moment is the madhouse of the NHS. And instead of blaming the job, which, is, I said, is the best as long as you're in general practice, (laughs) we need to change the system. And then the youngest doctors in this audience can stand up in 30 years and say, I did the best job in the world, as I truly can myself. Thank you very much.
6: Okay, um, good evening, everybody. You've heard some brilliant speeches. And, um, you know, but the the FOR campaign. The problem with the four campaign, they're so devoid of argument. Before I came here, Helgi said, let's have a drink. (laughs) And promptly got me a double whiskey. (laughs) So, just to sort of say, but I'm not drunk, because I'm a consultant. I can can completely hold my drink. Anyway, so you're hearing the topic about uh, the house believes that medicine is the best career in the world. Okay? Don't be ridiculous about it. Let's be honest. That's just a ridiculous concept. That's me and my dad. And he was always my hero, still is my hero, and he's come to visit me from India, he used to be a consultant here, he went back, and that's what I wanted to be. Ever since I was little, my dad was a doctor, I wanted to follow him, I wanted to be like him. I grew up looking at him going, there's no bigger hero, well, apart from Batman. But he was big, okay? That's my son. His hero has slightly changed, that's not me, by the way, (laughs) just to say. But the point i make is that it's interesting i've got a daughter who's 14 and my son who's nine and i'll talk about my daughter in a minute because helgi said absolutely you know i'll let my son be a doctor so i'll come back to that in a minute i'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we have completely missed is this thing about the generation so there's the baby boomers you know you've met all these people i've given some names it doesn't always turn out to be right along with steve jobs there's also david hasseloff But in general, they were the people you've heard about, your consultant, you know you heard them? In my days. I used to come in at 4 o'clock in the morning, lick the ground and you juniors do nothing like what we do. Baby boomers. My dad and everybody else, hard working, used to work till 10 o'clock at night looking after you. Then came generation X, healthy, you know, diverse, cool, you know, that sort of stuff. Well, David Cameron's in there as well, but generally speaking, you know. And then you have the Generation Y. The Emma Watsons, the Usain Bolt, the digitally connected. For them, everything is quick, fast. Work-life balance is very important. You know, when we sit down in a pub, all of us oldies, we go like, you know those junior doctors left at five? Can you believe it? I would never do that. <laughs> well, the junior doctors are going like, well, that's because you're not efficient. That's your problem, mate, not mine. i finished my work. I've gone on. Thank you very much. That's the thing. Generation Z is my kids and stuff where they're just in a completely virtual world. You don't know what the heck is going on now there's I talk about it because there's three fundamentals in life why do you do a job especially medicine I want to help you know I want to be nice I want to cure people I want to feel good that I helped some of the altruistic side I want to have a good work-life balance that is very important for a lot of generation and that quite rightly too and I'm a big advocate of work-life balance you cannot enjoy your job unless you have a good work-life balance I want to earn well have a comfortable life. There's nothing wrong in that. That's what everybody would like to get to. So with that in mind, which one trumps another at the moment when you talk about medicine as a career? Are there jobs beyond medicine which offers that? It's not a question whether this is the best job or the worst job, but for you, is there something which offers you better? Are those three the most important things for you or can you think of something which will offer you one of those different to what medicine does? Why not then? Negativity. We've heard a lot about it. Work-life balance. These consultants will tell you, and hell, he's right. I love my job. Absolutely love it. I love my job. I don't think a junior will get to the position I'm getting with the perks I get. That's the point I'm making. CEA points. Clinical Excellence Awards. We consultants love it. You will get nothing. (laughs) SPA time. Consultants get it. To develop, to teach. I've been. I'm a regional specialty advisor for London and Oxford. I've been. We get two and a half PAs to teach, to educate, to develop oneself. I've just signed off four jobs. That's what came from the trust. One session just for your own development and teaching and audit and everything else. Life is different. Pensions. We talked about it. There is no point in me telling you job is fantastic if I'm going to offer you a future which is quite rubbish. You are not going to get the pension. I'm going to get. I'm not going to get the pension my seniors have got. That's the reality of where we are. And are we being screwed by the present generation? That's the big question. Where is everybody walking away? Are they saying, well, look after ourselves, you know, we we are okay. You guys, well, tough, isn't it? We'll go to the table, we'll see what we can do and hey. So opportunities beyond the public sector? Is the grass greener on the other side? Progression from FY1 to senior poster dropping, is it too late by then? Now, the three fundamentals I go back to, I want to help the altruistic side of things. Is there other jobs you can do that? Can you have a good work-life balance? Do you want to earn well, have a comfortable life? Does medicine offer you all of that is the fundamental question. Are there other jobs that offer you that? I think the answer is yes. You need to broaden your horizon and talk to a lot of people around you who would say exactly that. The main important question is, would you recommend it to someone else? Your sister, brother, niece, nephew, sit down with them and honestly ask them that question. Would you turn around to them and say, yeah, be a doctor, be a medic, and that is the fundamental question. I sat down with my daughter not too long ago. I sat down with my son as well, and I said, what do you want to be? My son said, thought about it, and said, Darth Vader. I was like, okay, that's probably not a career choice. Right, move on. Right, you go and play with your toys daughter 14 sensible and girls are much more sensible you know, sit down and she goes oh well I'm thinking of doing some journalism you go, oh, that's very clever and I said well you know wh- what about a medic you know you see me all the time and she had a very important thing to say she said I like you better when you're home with me that's a very fundamental thing and I said well, what does that mean she said I want to spend time with my people you know around me I want to I'm not that fussed about having a lot of money but I really would like to spend time I think that's very important, and I think that's the fundamental question, would you recommend it to somebody of your own hit and kin? That's what your vote is about today. It's not about anything else, it's about saying, yes, I would. If you believe in that, honestly, looking at what we are doing, and looking at what you're doing, then vote for it. If the answer is no, then vote against it. It's as simple as that. I don't think it's anything beyond that. So does the house believe that medicine is the best career in the world? And I will be very honest with you. Helgi knows me very well. And before we were setting up this debate, I was thinking going forward that I'm very, very passionate about medicine. I want junior doctors to do well. I'm very passionate about them. And it breaks my heart to actually tell you that it's not. It does. I really want medicine to be the best career in the world, and it can be. But it does break my heart to turn around and say to an audience of people, I'm a college, uh, royal college tutor, I teach medical students, and every single time it does cost me a lot to turn around and say it may not be the best job anymore. It shouldn't be, but that's where we are, and I'll leave it at that, and thank you very much. <laughs>